management, leadership. If you're all about that, I know that you're ready for the leaderish podcast. Hey, change your mindset because it is vital. Remembering the leader is not all about a title. It's about helping others level up, get their best. Talking about the skills, time to focus, time to represent. Hey, Dr. Brandy, break it down just like that. Time to tune in to the leaderish podcast. Hey, let's go. The Leaderish Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Leaderish Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brandy, and you already know that this season I have been breaking down the dysfunctional leadership types because at the end of the day, I believe that we are in the biggest leadership crisis that we've ever been in in the world. I believe that being a leader is about your character and not your title. And I also believe that sometimes we just need to call people up not call them out. And that's what we're doing this season on the podcast. So the last couple episodes, I have been answering some of your questions. And honestly, the number one question that I have received was around saying no, setting boundaries, having the courage to manage these dysfunctional leadership types. So for this episode, I had to bring in some reinforcements. Yes, I did. None other than Dr. Darius Daniels. He is a pastor, an author, an emotional intelligence coach, and he is the the coach to leaders, the few that are leading the many. And so I brought him in so that we can actually have a conversation and and collaborate and see his perspective on how you can say no, how you can set boundaries in dealing with these type of leaders. So super excited for the discussion today. Welcome, Dr. Darius. Dr. Brandy, listen, I'm super excited to be a part of this podcast. And um, I'm excited about our conversation today. You know, you're talking about what I, you're talking about a catalytic consequential subject. I don't think you can get entrepreneurship right. I don't think you can get life right, getting leadership wrong. So um, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. I think you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things that I, I really, you know, share with my listeners is at the end of the day, leadership is don't wait until you have a title in order yeah. to start to step into your leadership. Quite frankly, <laughs> many people who are leaders first, the opportunity to become a formal leader attracts to them because they're already walking in their leadership. And so I think for the millennial generation, you know, who is who has, you know, been uh, labeled as delusionally ambitious sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Someone literally said that to me one time in a training. They were like, I was like, describe millennial. They were like delusionally ambitious, but okay, you know, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you know, we have seen in our generation that it doesn't take 20 or 30 years to move up through the ranks, you know, that we can become leaders, but I think our generation still needs um, to be refined. And so I know you heard in my intro, there's a lot of question questioning that we got around boundaries. And, you know, I'm I'm big on that psychological dimension, the identity. I know you are big on the EQ. You know, we can't just be setting boundaries and telling people to just just say no when they don't have that balance with the emotional intelligence and and other aspects. So right out the gate, I just want to just pitch it over to you, (laughs) you know. What is it? What's the issue? What's maybe the foundational issue or maybe the background for those people that are, you know, people pleasers, maybe, or, you know, they they are just not trying to say no by any means necessary. What's that about? 
You know, listen, I like to frame it this way. Um, <laughs> those things that we do not straighten out in our life show up in our leadership. And um, <laughs> and so I, I really kind of feel like when it comes to this, this and to me, it's a leadership, it's a life skill, but it is a leadership core competency, the ability to set boundaries. And let me tell you why I say that, because boundaries are all about uh, lines of demarcation between your level of responsibility and somebody else's level of responsibility. Like that's what a boundary does. It identifies, it's a fence that identifies I'm responsible for this. I am not responsible for that. And I feel like, you know, when it comes to leadership, when those boundaries aren't, when boundaries aren't set, leaders become responsible for somebody else's irresponsibility. And when that happens, it creates enablement in others. So you're, you're enabling others to continue in that irresponsibility. It creates codependency where they actually don't grow as a leader themselves because they become overly reliant on you. And then it produces overwhelm and re eventually resentment um, because uh, whenever there's enablement, at some point there's going to be resentment. Like, so if you're enabling people at some point, you're going to resent that because it's going to adversely is going to adversely affect you, you know? So, you know, I really, you know, I really feel like there are a number of contributing factors. I know this is your lane right here, uh, whether it is people pleasing tendencies, whether it is passive aggressiveness, whether it's imposter syndrome and inferiority complexes. Yes. It's like, yo, there could be a number of different causes to uh, a person's inability to set or hold boundaries. Because some people can set them but they can't hold them when they're pressured. And I think addressing some of those causes will help people be better at setting and holding boundaries. And when they get better at that, they're going to have a better life. <laughs> um, yes. You should want one of those, right? Everybody, I hope you want a life. You should have a better, they're going to have a better life and they're going to be better in their leadership. Spot on. Like I literally was writing <laughs> notes because you you hit us with the, the levels. OK, <laughs> you know, the responsibility fence. I like that just visually, because I think that some people, you know, and I brought up people pleasing already. But I think that some people, they don't understand that you can set boundaries and say no and still be a nice individual. Like mm. some people are so, I, I see a lot of nice girl, nice guy types um, who equate setting boundaries and no with you know, something negative, you mm -hmm. know, with something bad. And I looked up, literally I looked up the definition of the word nice and the root word comes from French, but it literally means foolish. And I, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, really? Webster? That's a bar. <laughs> yeah, like it means foolish. And I thought, wow, you know, then, then I look up and I've been studying this um, people pleaser and, and the irony with the people pleaser is that the people who they're pleasing, seeking to please, and that's not always the case with not being able to set boundaries, but, you know, I'm just kind of going down that road for a moment. But the irony with the people pleaser is that their behavior is not actually for the people. It's for themselves. It's to mm. feel needed. It's to feel valued. So so you're saying yes to others. You're pleasing others so that you can get the affirmation so that you can get, you know, it's not even sure. about. Right. So that may be a misnomer there. But I think that's one group that I, that really falls in this category. I'm a people pleaser. I'm just so nervous. But you hit on something 
um, in terms of the resentment and the overwhelm. And yeah. and the, that frustration, that rub right there, that's when I encounter. It's like, excuse me, you know, and, and people <laughs> are asking, how do I say no? How do I how do I say no? But they're almost making it seem as if it's it's the manager or that leader that is taking advantage of them. Mm. When you just dropped in two minutes that it's our responsibility to set and hold boundaries with others. And so at what point, you know, when we're thinking about saying no and setting boundaries, like, are, is there any criteria for, cause there are some people that are just like, no, right? Like, yeah. can you no? you know, they're, they're sitting sure. on no, but it, what's your thought around how we can start being strategic and purposeful with the situations or the types of people or the types of behaviors that we need to start setting boundaries for? Yeah, you know, I, I think, and it's like the way my mind works, it could be very linear. So it's like the, sure. these, these words are coming to my mind. And like, I think, and I think this is something you've been hitting at. So I think the first thing is like um, clarity. You kind of want to be, you, you want to be clear on, um, first of all, what a boundary is. We mentioned that earlier. You also want to want to be clear on what it means to set one well. Um, I've seen people set boundaries abrasively. I've seen people set boundaries impulsively. But I think you said something that's really key, and that is, you know, strategically. Like, how do you actually set them? How do you, how do you set them well? And and I think there needs to be a degree and a dimension of clarity on what a boundary is, and then clarity on what is the best way to communicate, to articulate a boundary. Because I think this is this is something that we, we can't skip over. And that is, there are people right now who are, well, I mean, I was one of those people, um, but there are people who are listening, who are already practicing uh, boundaryless leadership, right? So they aren't starting from a blank slate. So that means that there are people in their relational orbit, in their work life, that are accustomed to interacting with them um, a certain way. They're accustomed to you not having boundaries. So what you're making here is a hard, <laughs> you're making a, you're making a pivot. And if that's not articulated to people, I think at, at, at times they can be kind of taken aback. And this is what I would say very simply is you have to understand the difference between being nice and kind. Now you talked about being nice and the root word of that being like foolish, right? Uh, but I, I, I even heard someone say this one time, successful people aren't nice. They're kind. And there's a difference. So I can say whatever needs to be said in a way that that's not condescending, that doesn't disrespect you, that doesn't dishonor you, but like clearly communicates something, a boundary uh, that needs to be set that is in both of our best interests. I think that piece is like really clear. You aren't setting a boundary just to protect you. You're setting a boundary to protect a relationship. You're setting a boundary because ultimately the boundary that you're setting is not only going to be in the best interest of you, it's going to be in the best interest of the other person, even if they don't know it yet, even if they don't prefer it, even if it's not what they want, it's probably what the relationship needs. Mm, you know what? So true in terms of this being kind of a mutually beneficial a thought process. It, it protects you, the person, the relationship, but also the work 
the project, the yes. organization. If if you are dumping this work on me and I literally have no capacity left, it's in my best interest and your best interest and everyone else's, you know, to, for me to be able to set this boundary with you or to communicate and articulate with you that, hey, okay, great, I could do this, but I'm gonna have to drop that ball over there. Let's negotiate some things because at the end of the day, when the project misses the deadline or whatever, you know, the, the issue is or the relational connection is, that's a that's a bigger issue. And so mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. And then something else you said about this being the pivot and, and being able to articulate those boundaries. I just started like laughing because, <laughs> you know, people will go from passive straight to aggressive in a minute, <laughs> like in a minute. And I think it's the emotional dimension. And I know EQ and emotional intelligence is that's, that's your lane. But I find that, you know, some people, nice people, quote unquote, just using that as look, so, nice people do not inbox me. Okay. Don't inbox <laughs> me. We just follow the conversation, but sometimes they need to be emotionally charged to make a move. Right. So it's like you you build up so much. You accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. You avoid, avoid, avoid at times. Right. You don't set the boundary. You become angry, resentful, overwhelmed, as you stated. And then now you were you're ready to bust out and set a boundary. But it's emotion based. And so yeah. I love I want to underscore what you said in terms of setting a boundary. Like we can just neutralize the whole thing. Yeah, I'm literally just articulating to you something that I need something that I may want to suggest and you should be willing to go through that negotiation process back and forth with someone and you shouldn't even need to really break a sweat. But it's, yeah, it's that <laughs> resentment that makes the whole thing. And I think that's really sometimes what people are asking me, how do I say no? Well, you're ready to curse somebody out right now. That's why you're asking me for yes. advice on that. You're, you're angry, you're upset. And at this point, it's not about the boundary that you need to set anymore, you need to really have a, a reset conversation about your dynamic. Yeah. And you said this, the pivot is coming. So when you show up brand new on Monday morning, <laughs> nobody got the memo. Right. Like, we need to clear the air here. But yeah, that's, I just wanted to just throw that out. But Facts. yeah, yeah. And the boundaryless leadership, you know, that's something that has, I think, become the norm in general. Um, Yes. In our workplaces, um, in our relationships, um, I'm not sure. I mean, we can. We don't have enough time to go into the psychopathology of that right there. But part of it too, I think, is we don't have accountability cultures. We mm -hmm. we don't where we really value. We say accountability, and you know, but when somebody really says, you know, hold you accountable for maybe over delegating work. That's a nice way for me to say dump work on other people yeah. or whatever. You know, and you do set a boundary. People are offended. Mm -hmm. People will argue you back, back down when you try to set set a boundary. So I think, um, you know, we need to practice what we preach. Sure. But, but can you go a little bit, you know, deeper on the communication piece, the articulation piece? Because when things are going well, we don't need to practice these skills. This conversation is irrelevant. Right, it's, yeah. it's in a conflict interaction um, and conflict is natural, normal and necessary, sure. but that I think things get a little dicey. But what do you, you know, what strategies yeah. can you give for those folks that just go from zero to 1000 
in terms of how they can maybe articulate some boundaries a little bit more productively. Yeah, I, I do want to throw a qualifier out there, uh, Dr. Okay. Brandon, and that is every every adjustment doesn't require announcement. Like, um, so if it's subtle, if it's subtle, then I don't, I don't think you have to have these crucial conversations for subtle adjustments. Right. Like I'm about I'm about to start doing. The yes. Morning. <laughs> I'm going to say no a little bit more to you. No, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> so to, to me, I think that's relational intelligence is this idea of recognizing what a, what adjustments require announcements like what is going to be if something's going to be drastically different with people's interaction um, in people's interaction with me. That's something I I probably need to be prepared to have a conversation uh, with them about initially, meaning like you initiate it, or I need to be prepared to have a conversation when they recognize it and they initiate the conversation, you know, uh, because I don't believe you always have to be the initiator of that conversation. We can we can tackle that um, uh, later if you like. But to answer your question specifically, here's a time not to do it. And you mentioned it not when you are emotionally charged, because this is what happens when you are emotionally charged, triggered, right? Even like just being being very frank, um, kind of when that charge goes up, IQ goes down. And that means you're not going to be as like judicious and strategic with your words. You're you're not going to be conscious of things that you <laughs> that you would be um, conscious of when you're emotionally charge subliminally your real desire your real goal is to get relief and what can end up happening is uh, you can end up unintentionally venting as opposed to just accurately articulating some adjustments that uh need to be made so i would not do it when i was emotionally charged i i do believe that some conversations uh require preparation and that doesn't mean you should script it. Hopefully, you <laughs> hopefully you don't script this out. But you do need to have a general sense of who am I talking to, and what do I need to prepare myself for in trying to articulate this to them. Like uh, some people aren't going to accept it; they aren't going to like it. Is this person combative? Is this person controlling? Uh, how do I need to prepare not just my words, but how do I need to prepare myself? Um, to kind of have this conversation. And then finally, I just believe in two, two other things, being clear and being concise, like say as much as needs to be said to get the point across, but say no more than what needs to be said to get the point across. And um, I, I think that applies to, to boundaries, not just as it relates to leadership and work, but also I, I would apply the same thing to life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I echo everything you're saying. Um, now, let me let me let me ask you this, though. You know, what a, what about these people? Because I feel like we are in a age, a generation. I don't know what it is of offense. People are offended at yes. every single thing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, and that bothers me because I don't know if it was how I was raised or my household or whatever. But you got to have some tough skin. You know, like, like we're not going to be. Cause there's a group of folks out there that are like loving what we're saying. They're like, yes, they're, they're about to start setting all types of boundaries. But, but the issue is what you want is you want others to meet you more than halfway. You're, you're offended. You know, you're, so we, we want to make sure people are not manipulating the setting of boundaries or saying no, because I feel, you know, like I hate to just be like cynical about it, but 
once someone says like, I, I was really offended by this when you did that, um, how do we help people with the building blocks of just EQ? Like I know self-awareness is like one of the foundational principles, but mm -hmm. can you help kind of talk through so that those listening, because you know, when you at church, you're a pastor as well. Yeah. A church, and I always say in my trainings and things like that, when I'm speaking, I say, during this, during this training, when you're thinking about everyone else that all of this applies to, just remember <laughs> I'm talking to you. Like this is look, you, it's no, it's not about Bob, about a water cooler, you know. Yes. So how can we there's some things you to say to the audience, because we have a broad audience, so that they can start to figure out. What category they're in? What are some telltale signs maybe of maybe low EQ and some things in, in preparation for setting boundaries, in preparation for articulating all the things that you've broken down and that EQ side that people need to hone in on and kind of check the box and work on so that they don't walk away thinking they're ready to set boundaries when really you don't even have the EQ. You're not even at this level yet, you yes. know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I think you really hit in hit in on it. I mean, when you're talking about the the major quadrants of emotional intelligence, right? You're dealing with self awareness, which is the first quadrant, and then there's self management. And this is where I like to spend a lot of time because this is where I think conventional approaches to like EQ improvement do not work. It just doesn't work. And I think this is where me being a pastor really informs and serves my coaching practice. Because as a pastor, I have to work with people long term. And so what does that mean? It means that if I'm sharing things with you um, that don't work, you're going to be with me long enough for you to recognize it doesn't work and for me to recognize it doesn't work. Whereas sometimes the coaching relationships can be uh, a shorter time period. So you're not really able to see the long term implications of some of the things that you've coached somebody into, man. And so anyway, you know, I just kind of... Uh, I kind of feel like on the management side that very often uh, by the time someone becomes, a, I'll say it this way, by the time somebody becomes aware of some of these tendencies that you're talking about, uh, Dr. Brandon, there's some damage that's been done in the past and it's probably creating more damage uh, in, in the present. If they're a leader, it's probably undermining their influence. It's impacting the way that they are um, uh, showing up for their team. It's, it's, it's impacting what they see reproduced in their team because um, you, you you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And so I've seen that in so, so many leadership cultures. So the there needs to be awareness. And one of the things that happens is, though, when you become aware of something, I think there's another step beyond emotional intelligence, and that's wellness, which is a completely different conversation. But that wellness takes time. And the time that it takes to really get to the core of what's driving some of these behaviors is time where you are still doing damage. If you don't come up with a strategy to protect you from you while you're still working on you. And for me, that's where the management piece comes in, where I would say, hey, with, with self-management here, what are we trying to do? We we let's put a strategy in place right now to protect you from you until we figure out what's going on with you at the core so that we can make some adjustments there so that self-management doesn't become so, so difficult. And so what I'd say to people is, hey, like, all right, instead of trying to change you at the core now, let's hack you. This is the way that that you are. This is the way that you've been behaving historically. 
all right, yo, what can we do now? What can we agree upon that you're going to do every time you feel this? Every time you feel this, every time you're charged this way, let's make a decision in your time of strength to protect you from you in your time of weakness. And so for me, management is really about those strategies. That way, uh, that way you're able to prevent or minimize further damage while you're trying to fix something that you've been um, that you've not been made aware of. First of all. I need to tell the producer, go ahead and buy protectyouforyou.org.com. <laughs> we need to hack you. I need all the IP right now. This is amazing. You know what? I love what you're saying because it's a process. And I yeah. think that we want to sometimes, you know, do again, like tips and tricks on setting boundaries. But like that's that's not really what this is. Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the coaches I know that we both, you know, engage with um, and, and mentors, you know, really talks about not just doing the thing, but becoming the person that can yes. do the thing that you need to do to accelerate your leadership or your business. And, and that's what I was hearing as you were sharing that just now. And I think that, you know, I do an emotional triggers exercise with folks really as a part of the diversity and inclusion, um, mm. you know, trainings and things like that, because people are so triggered. They're so offended. They're so emotions yes. get wrapped up. <laughs> and one of the things that I realized, I'd love to hear your thoughts with this, but that how we manage conflict, how we manage our emotions, really a lot of, a lot of times stems from how we were raised. Yes. Our household, our environment. So maybe you were in a, a household where conflict, oh, we're going to talk it out. We're not sleeping anything under the rug, but it was dysfunctional. It might have been yelling. It might have been. So you may be that person, that yelling, that scream, or you may be so averse to that that now you become an avoider uh, of conflict. Or you may be in a household where we know mom and dad had an argument or whoever, but we're going to all still sit and eat this mashed potatoes and meatloaf as if everything's fine and just ignore it, you know. And so that I think people need to self-reflect that self-awareness, that self-management. I found helping people take it back even further sometimes helps them to unlock some something, some insight into maybe why they are not able to manage or why they're triggered in certain situations and, you know, in one way or another. But any thoughts on that? Any experience with some of the folks you've coached with um, kind of connecting their current emotional state? emotional intelligence level with how they were raised or previous environments they've been in? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm going to say that um, in more cases than not it, in my experience, at least. And so this is anecdotal, right? This is not data, but this is just, this is just my experience. And sure. in more, more often than not, it goes back to childhood. It goes back to, um, if there's kind of a challenge there, a growth opportunity, if they're struggling in an area, it goes back to two things, right? It goes back to when it comes to their emotional needs during childhood, during their formative years, mm -hmm. someone did something to them that they shouldn't have done, or someone did not do enough of what they should have done. And there are different behavior patterns and types and habits and um, emotional patterns, excuse me, and emotional types and, and challenges that are really directly tied back to that, right? So if you got a person that is a people pleaser, that could be a result of someone doing things to them that they shouldn't have done, like withholding 
pleasure, uh, withholding affirmation until they performed something along those, those lines, and it creates performance orientation, which is people pleasing. Or they, or, or uh, someone didn't give them enough of what they what they should have gotten. Security, uh, knowing that I'm secure in this relationship and that I'm loved without conditions, and that gives me the freedom to be vulnerable and to to fully ex to fully express myself. So I think getting to the root of that is kind of one thing, but like in my in my coaching experience, which is kind of a like my approach because it's because they, they can be inspirational and motivational, et cetera. But I'm I'm more my focus is more transformational. And so with that being the case, they're like you got to engage the head, the heart and the hands. And so for me, what I found is like people once once they discover like that childhood link, they can get stuck there and they can start blaming parents and things of that particular nature. When at this point, it is what it is. The question is now, how can you reparent you? Hey guys, me, Dr. Brandy here, and I'm so sorry I had to cut into today's episode because Dr. Darius and I went into overtime. That's right. You're going to have to catch the second half of our discussion on the next episode. See you there. Leaderish Podcast.